good to be with you. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, really good to see so many of you here today. Um, like Alex said, want to especially welcome you if you're new and you're uh, just joining us maybe for the first time uh, this morning. And so now what we're going to do as we continue in worship is we're going to spend a few minutes looking at God's Word together um, and what He has to say to us. And if you have been with us, you know we've been in a series for uh, several weeks uh, that we've called Delighting in Our Dependence, The Gift of Being Human, where we're talking about the good limits that we have as human beings and, and why that's actually good news that we have limits. We often want to fight against those. We get frustrated about the limits that we have. But we've been talking about um, how it's part of God's good design that we have these limits and what does it look like for us to faithfully live in light of them. And today we're going to talk about uh, the topic of trusting God's process of change in our lives, trusting his process of change in our lives, which is a very relevant topic uh, as we begin a new year and, and are thinking a lot about ways we would like to change. And the passage that we're going to look at to guide us today is going to be from uh, Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, um, verses 3 through 11. You can find this passage printed in the bulletin that you have. Um, this is the Apostle Paul writing to, a little bit of context before we dive in, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his friends in Philippi. He spent some time there, did some ministry, um, helped plant some churches, and now this is him years later actually from prison writing to them. And we're going to look at this very beginning of this letter where he's greeting them, he's thanking God for them, and then uh, moving to pray for them. And so let me read this for us, pray, and then we'll dive in and look at it in light of our topic today. And so if you want to follow along, like I said, it's in your bulletin. We'll have it up here on the screen as well. This is God's word to us today. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, thank you for this morning um, as we come into this day, um, still in a new year, um, thinking about um, new beginnings. We thank you that uh, you're a God who um, is a God of new beginnings, um, that you're a God of um, second and third and fourth um, and so many more chances. Uh, thank you for your grace that you give us, your grace that sustains us, that upholds us, that keeps us going. And so however we're coming into today and into this year, um, we want to look to you and your grace to be our anchor, uh, to be our rock. Um, we pray now that uh, as we look at this passage and think about this topic, you'd give us your Holy Spirit and uh, would use it to do just that, to, to strengthen us in your grace. Um, to encourage us in the hope that we have in your Son, uh, by the power of your Spirit. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you know the name Sam Hinkie. Um, some of you probably do. 
Um, but even if you don't know his name, you've likely heard the phrase, trust the process. Trust the process. And uh, I don't know that he officially made that up, but he's, Sam Hinkie is certainly one of the people that's responsible for that becoming uh, such a popular phrase like it's become in the last few years. And so Sam Hinkie was the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers, a team in the National Basketball Association, from 2013 to 2016. And from the moment he was hired, he started talking about the process. The process of focusing not on the outcome and getting results quickly, but on building something, on building something that would last. And this is what he tried to do, albeit in a very polarizing way, as uh, if you know about him, you know his approach was to trade away all their good players so that the team would be terrible, um, would be like the worst team in the league for several years in a row, but that they would hopefully get some high draft picks and be able to pick some players that would help them eventually build something that would be successful for the long haul. And, and I, I'm sure it didn't quite turn out the way he wanted it to as he got fired, um, but it kind of worked because uh, if you know anything about the Philadelphia 76ers, you know they've been at least a pretty competitive team ever since he left. But during his tenure, this was the rallying cry for the whole 76ers organization and fan base was to trust the process. And now I'll bring that up because as we continue our sermon series, Delighting in Our Dependence, the Gift of Being Human, today we're going to talk about the fact that God wants you and I to trust the process that he's working in our lives. Similarly, he wants us to focus not so much on the outcome and on us getting instant results, but on him and the usual slow and steady work he's doing in us. Because as Kelly Capick describes, explains in the chapter that we're using to help guide us today, God loves process. He loves to take his time in the things that he does. And, And just think about a few examples. Couldn't God have created everything at once? Like, couldn't he have done that? Like, all in an instant? But how did he do it? Well, the Genesis story tells us he did it over time, over six days. And there's a lot of debate about what do those actual six days mean? But, but in terms of what we're talking about here, it doesn't really matter. Whether it was six actual literal days or six longer periods of time, he did it over time. He created by process. And then think about the people of Israel when God called them out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. He led them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And as Chuck DeGrode, who was our men's retreat speaker this spring, pointed out to us, the distance they covered in those 40 years, if they did a straight shot, they could have covered in just a few weeks. But they did it for 40 years. So this is how God likes to work. He likes to take his time. He loves the process. And it's the same thing in his work with us. Even though he could change us completely all at once with the snap of his finger, and maybe sometimes he does things like that, This is how he normally chooses to operate, like a a master artist. He carefully and slowly crafts a masterpiece work of art in us. And, And this is the mindset that we see here from the Apostle Paul in this passage as he begins this letter to his friends. He he tells them how thankful he is for them, how they've had, he's so thankful he they've had his back during his ministry so far. And as he looks forward, he trusts God to keep working his good process of grace in their lives. Look at it again. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I know God began this good work in you, and I know he's going to keep working on you slowly and surely until he sees it through. As we're thinking about learning to live within our limits as human beings, this is an important principle for us to to embrace and to trust that this is how God works in our lives, through process. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how you and I can do this, how how we can learn to trust and embrace this uh, for ourselves, to trust God's process, and have this kind of mindset we see from the Apostle Paul uh, as well. And so we need to start first by admitting how hard this is for us as we begin to think about how we can do this. We need to start by admitting our struggle with it. And part of it, of course, is just the fact that we just want things to happen quickly for us, right? I mean, again, that's why New Year's resolutions are so hard, right? We're only eight days in, so hopefully uh, you're still with it if you made a resolution. Um, but it, it, it's tough, right? That's what makes it so hard is you gotta, you gotta stick with it. It, doesn't, it takes time and you gotta persevere. But, so that's part of it. But so much of it, too, is tied to the way we naturally think about God and how he sees us when it comes to growth and change in our lives, Because how do we think about him when it comes to these things? How do we tend to think he views us as we're battling sin, as we're trying to change, as we're wanting to change, but it's still not happening? How do we think he looks at us? Well, if we're honest, we tend to think he's angry with us, that he's frustrated with us. We think he expects us to have already changed and figured it out. We don't see him as the loving, compassionate father the scriptures tell us he is, but we see him often as a a temperamental father who's always on edge, who's like overflowing with disappointment for us. And Dr. Caput gives the example in his book of kids learning how to walk. And he says, you know, when his kids were small and learning how to walk, he would stand them up so that they could hold on to the side of the couch, and then he'd back a few feet away, and he'd start to, to motion to them and to call them to come. And eventually, after enough time, they would work up the courage to do it, but inevitably, um, they'd take a few steps, maybe one or two, maybe three or four, and then they would fall and hit the ground. And if you're a parent, um, and especially if you've been in this stage recently, you know what happens next. Whether through tears or not, the child's going to look up at your face to see how you respond. And and what does any kind of normal, good, and loving parent do in this situation? How do they respond? Well, you're going to look at your son or your daughter who just fell, you're gonna smile, you may clap and cheer, and you're gonna say something like, hey, it's okay. Like, you're all right, that was a great try. Like, like get up, and, and we can try it again. Like, you're gonna get there. You would never say something like, wow, I cannot believe you can't walk already. Like, what are you doing, come on. And if you heard somebody do that, or if you, you witnessed that, like, you would be super angry, right? Because you're just like, that's wrong. But Capic suggests, though you and I don't want to admit it, that's often the way we think about God and the way he sees us as, as we're trying to grow in our obedience to him and in our fight against sin. We think he expects us to have already mastered everything. He says this, he says, we seem to believe that God expects us to be instantly flawless, to never make a mistake, to never fall back or hit the ground. And when we do fall, we imagine he is surprised and frustrated as if the holy, omniscient God were naive or ignorant about the ways sin has so deeply affected us 
or the ways that we were created with good limitations. Subconsciously, we imagine that as Christians, we should have thoughts, words, and actions that are instantly free from ever again lapsing into sin and failure. And what happens when you believe that? Well, you live with a lot of guilt and shame. And you try to obey God and fight the sin in your life by actually moving away from him. Instead of coming to your father who wants to help you, you treat him like you do a boss who gives you some, some harsh feedback in an annual review. You're like, okay, I hear that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that away and I'm gonna go work on that all year to prove to you that's not true, that that's not who I am. And sadly, I know, I know that describes so much of my own experience of trying to grow as a Christian. I know and affirm God's grace in saving me, like he loves me in general, but often I think he's disappointed with where I am right now can almost feel like I'm not quite where he wants me to be yet. I haven't reached my potential for him at this point. And if I can just get there, if I can just reach that point, then he won't be disappointed with me anymore. And I'll be okay. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's a big part of of what what causes the unhealthy drivenness I often have and can struggle with. It's what causes me to be so hard on myself, especially when I fail or, or or don't know how to do something, even if it's something like I've never done before. Like, how would I know how to do it? It It's so clear that Paul doesn't see it this way. Because look at what he does here. Yeah, he he praises the Philippians for the growth and the the fruit that they've already shown in the past. But then he also prays that that they would grow more in the future. Look at it, verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's like, you've been there for me in the past. I've seen this in you. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. But then listen to what he does. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, he understands that God works in a process. He's already done a great work in these men and women, but there's more to do. As faithful as they've been to him, they haven't arrived. They haven't figured it all out. There's more for them to grow into as they go along. More love, more wisdom for the fruit of righteousness to flow more and more in them. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And that's what God loves and expects to happen. Like that, that's the plan. That's how it works. But this is so hard for us to, to embrace this, to believe this. And so then the question is, how can we move more in this direction. Now that we've admitted our struggle, how can we get more to where Paul is here? Well, second, we need to see God's commitment. Second, we need to see God's commitment. We need to see just how committed God is to us, to work his process in our lives and change us, how committed he is to love us and pursue us consistently over time with his grace and kindness. And and where do we see that? Well, we get a hint hint of it at the end of verse 6. As we've seen, Paul says he's sure God's going to do all this for the Philippians. He's sure he's not going to leave them, that he's going to finish the good work he started in them. But he gives us an idea of why at the end of this verse. Again, verse 6, he says, And I'm sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so the day of Jesus Christ is referring to Jesus' second coming. This is the day all of history is pointing to, when Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign over everything. The day Paul tells us in Philippians 2, where, he, where every tongue, every mouth is going to confess, every knee is going to bow to him as Lord. And so when Paul says this, it points us forward to the, this day that is coming. But it also points us back to what Jesus has already done. Because Jesus' second coming is the culmination of everything he's done. It's like the final piece of the puzzle. And so it points us to Jesus' entire person and resume, all that he has done and all that he will do for us. And there's no better place to look to see God's commitment to us. Because when we look at Jesus... We see that everything that we just talked about, that we struggle to believe about God, is not true. Number one, when we look at Jesus, we see that God is never surprised by our sin. He's never surprised by it. And the fact that we struggle with it. Why? Because that's the whole reason Jesus came. Because we haven't arrived. Because we haven't already figured it out. He came because we're sinners. Big ones. See, Jesus shows us just how much God understands the seriousness of our condition and just how much sin has a grip on us. He's not surprised by it at all. He knows it's so bad and so serious that he had to send his son to come rescue us from it. But not only that, then number two, when we look at Jesus, it shows us God was willing to do that. Our condition was so bad, we needed God to send his son, and he actually did. His son, who, is, who he loved more deeply than we can ever imagine, he sent him to leave heaven, to come to earth, to become just like us, to submit to the same slow process of human growth and development that we do, except for sin. And then to step in and take our place on the cross, where he received the punishment we deserve for our sin that is so bad and that is so serious. See, the cross shows us God's heart is nothing like we often think it to be. It shows us his heart is filled with love and compassion towards us. It shows us he's so committed to dealing with us with patience and kindness to never give up on us, even in our failures, even in our struggles. It shows us authoritatively more than anything else that God is nothing like that scolding parent who's disappointed, we haven't already figured out how to walk. It shows us he's a good father who who gets down on the floor, who meets us with grace, who lifts us up and encourages us to keep going. And guys, having having kids of my own has helped me so much with this. Because as I think about my kids, being their dad who's so much further along, when I see them struggle and fail, it doesn't surprise me. Right? And honestly, I don't really expect them to be that great at very many things right now. Right? And so I'm not surprised. And I know that'll change as they get older and grow and develop, and I'll have higher expectations for them. But I'll still be so much further along, I'm always going to have this kind of perspective. Right? Not, only, not only am I not surprised when they struggle, when they do, when they're in it, there's nothing more I want to do than to help them. Right? My heart is drawn to them even more in these moments. 
Like, I'm not disappointed. I want to be there for them. I want to comfort them. I want to help them so that they will grow and learn how to do whatever it is they're trying to do a little bit better next time. And that's so encouraging to me because, like, if that's how I feel, as sinful and as messed up as I am, if that's how you feel, as Jesus says, if you who are evil feel this way, how much more our Father in heaven The cross shows us this is who God is. This is his heart toward you and me. And this is what he loves to do. And as Capic explains, and as we see in the scriptures, this is actually how God's process of change works. It doesn't normally happen when we rise to the occasion and defeat the giants in our lives. Though, uh, if I'm honest, I wish it was that way. Right? I kind of wish it was like a sweet movie scene where I did some, came through at the right moment and there's this epic music playing in the background. Like I wish that's how growth, and growth actually happened, but it's not. That's not how it works. Most of the real change God brings in our lives doesn't happen in our victories or in our mountaintop moments. It happens in our losses. It happens in the valleys, when we fall, when we fail, when our weaknesses and struggles hit us in the face. And it does because that's where God meets us. Capic says, ordinarily God changes us by persistently picking us up when we fall and slowly but consistently drawing us to the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Spirit. And see, that's the process that God is inviting you and I to trust. That's what he's committed to doing to complete the good work he began in us to keep picking us up and drawing us to himself again and again. And so what's the result? What happens when we see this and we begin to experience this? What happens? Well, then you and I can actually do more than just trust God's process. We can start to enjoy it. We can start to enjoy it. And you see, Paul, uh, he not only believes this and trusts this for his friends, he believes it for himself. And this is what we see in him. If you, if you know anything about, because if you do know anything about Paul's story, you know he, he had a really hard life. He really did. He, he suffered constantly. He had all kinds of weaknesses. As I said earlier, he was in pr- prison as he wrote this very letter. But what's like one of the key notes that you, you feel from him uh, here in this passage and in all his writings? Joy. Right, joy. Paul was filled with so much joy, and it came from him experiencing exactly what we're talking about. Experiencing God's commitment to him, his patience and kindness to him over years and years. He says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. And he's saying a lot right there, but one of the things he's saying is, God made me a Christian so he could show me and everybody else just how patient he is. Paul was certainly a holy man, but this is how it happened. It didn't actually happen through all his education, though he was brilliant, It didn't happen through his moral accomplishments and performance, though he had many. It happened as God was so patient 
and so kind with him. As he kept drawing him back to himself again and again, showing him grace and mercy as he stumbled along. And, and that experience is what made him so joyful and allowed him to rejoice, even as he was in prison. And that same kind of thing can happen for you and me. Yeah, we've got things about us we'd love for God to change quickly because they're painful, because they're hurting our, some of our relationships, because they're making our life worse in some way. I, I know I sure have these things. But when we see that this is what God is doing and that this is, this is what he wants to do for us, the process becomes more important to us than the outcome. Because the process is where God is. And the process is really about depending on him. It's about receiving his love and kindness. It's about being drawn into deeper communion with him, which is the very thing we were made for. And so we can learn to enjoy it and all that it entails. We can enjoy the seasons of major growth where we're seeing a lot of outward, obvious fruit we can enjoy the seasons that feel more stagnant, where we're not making progress, where we're not seeing the fruit that we'd like to be seeing. And we can enjoy the times that are in between where we are most of the time, right? Where there's a little bit of both, where there's some progress and there's some falling backwards. There, there's some good and some bad. We can enjoy it all knowing that God is pursuing us, that he's faithful to us, that he's committed to us, that he's, he's not going to give up. He's going to finish what he started and just to be clear, God doesn't like our sin, right? it hurts him when we choose to, to not trust him and to disobey him. But even when we do, we can know that his fundamental posture towards us is not one of disappointment. It's not one of frustration, but in Christ, it's love. It's no condemnation. And so wherever you are today, the invitation this morning is to believe that. To keep asking God to change you. To keep pursuing change by the, the power of the Spirit with all your heart. But to take a deep breath. To stop taking yourself so seriously. And actually start taking God and his love for you more seriously. Another way to say that is, is to lower your expectations of what you're capable of but to raise your expectations of what God's capable of doing. And when you're on the way, and when you're having a hard time, to look again at the cross, to see Jesus, and to say with Paul, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or to quote another prophet of sorts, the hip-hop artist Lecrae, who says it a little differently, to look and to know that the master artist makes your mess a masterpiece regardless. See, that's what he's doing. That's the process he's committed to. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Um, we thank you that you are so much more committed to us and to our growth and change than we are. And forgive us for how often we don't believe that and, uh, and we do see you the way we're, we've been talking about. We often see you um, as a disappointed father. Um, and so would you use uh, this good news today to change that in us, um, to give us a 
more of the, the real picture of who you are and how you feel about us um, so that we would be able to trust you um, on the journey and uh, still pursue change by your grace, but know that, that this is actually the way it happens is by trusting you, by falling into uh, your love and mercy, even as we stumble and fall. Uh, we ask all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, as we've been saying, this is, this is what God is doing. He's, he's inviting us into communion, and that, that's the goal of his process. That's, that's what he's trying to do. That's what he's working towards. And, and coming to this table is one of the practical ways uh, that he does that, as we uh, literally get to come and, and commune with him as we uh, eat and drink of the elements. Um, and it's what the, our Lord Jesus was doing on the night that he was betrayed as he was communing uh, with his disciples. When he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Every time you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. And so if you're here today and uh, you've put your faith in Jesus, um, in God through him to begin a good work in you and to see it through to completion, then this table's for you, um, no matter where you are on that journey, even if you're, you're struggling. Um, but if you have put your faith in Christ, uh, either, either 10 years ago or maybe just now, um, this table's for you. And I'd invite you to come and commune uh, with Jesus and, and with all of us together. Uh, but if that's not where you are quite yet, um, that's okay. We're so glad that you're here, uh, but would encourage you instead of coming up and just going through the motions and just doing it because everybody around you is, um, to actually stay in your seat and spend some time thinking about these things and, and reflecting, where am I uh, with all this? Do I trust Jesus uh, in this way? And if you want to do that and would like some help, we've got some prayers and meditations on the back of your bulletin that you can check out uh, to help you there. But if you, if you need Jesus, uh, you want to trust Jesus, if you do trust Jesus, this table is for you, and I would invite you uh, to come. It's our practice to come and receive the elements from the officers up front and then go back to your seat, and I'll come back up and lead us as we take all of them together. The outer rings are grape juice, inner rings are real wine, and uh, there's a, we'll leave this here, a container with some gluten-free packages if you'd like that option. That'll just be sitting up here um, if you want to do that. And so let me pray for us if the officers will come forward. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you um, that you do invite us to commune with you um, through the Lord's Supper. Um, and that this is part of your process of changing us. Um, the simple act of coming in faithfulness and in trust uh, month after month, as we do. And uh, so we ask now that your spirit would set apart these elements from their ordinary to their holy use, and that you would use this time and this meal um, to strengthen us in uh, your love, we ask in your name. Amen.